As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality new or used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. And the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke, what's going on, bud? Another day, another dollar, having a good time up here in uh, beautiful southern Illinois. How about you, Big Jet? Yeah, same thing for me. Uh, just kind of rocking right along here and uh, finally getting a, a break in some terrible rainy weather we've had for quite a few days and uh, looks like the sun's gonna come out now for a few so it's all good very good very good i wonder about my scheduling sometime it was i guess about 10 hours ago i got several stitches in my mouth <laughs> a little minor uh, dental surgery this morning that's been scheduled for a few months that i kind of forgot about until yesterday you didn't cross Jess, did you? you no, no, no. Okay. no, this had been scheduled for a few months. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully I, I'm coming through loud and clear and, and yes. not uh, slurring my words too bad. It feels very awkward, but best I can tell, I, I sound halfway normal. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think true. we can pull this off. 
Just fine. Sound great. Uh, can't even tell you got stitches in your mouth. So that's good. Well, that's a plus. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. Big show today. Special show for you, Big Jed. We've got a uh, we got a very special guest coming on today. We do. Uh, really and, excited. Yeah, absolutely. This will be a lot of fun. We've got JJ Pennington coming on the show a little bit later on. And uh, but first, we've got a big weekend to recap. Lots of stuff on the NHRA circuit, obviously uh, headlined by the New England Nationals up in Epic, New Hampshire. Plus, we had three divisional events over the weekend. Division 3 in Joliet, Division 5 in Great Bend, Kansas, Division 6 up in Mission, British Columbia. Plus, we had the no-box bonanza at uh, Summit Motorsports Park up at Norwalk. So, lots to discuss, lots to talk about. I think we've got a fun show, and we'll get into it here shortly. Absolutely. It's going to be a show full of racing, which is what we love, and uh, looking forward to our special guest today. All right, Big Jed, like we talked about, we've got a ton of on-track action race results to talk about. But uh, before we do, Allstate update, we've probably got the biggest single bit of news from Britt and Galen and the group at the at the Allstate shootout that we've had really since the race was introduced, we've actually got a fairly complete uh, list of competitors. How exciting is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously we've been knowing about this for quite a while now, but you can really start seeing it come together. I know Britt and Galen are getting closer every day to the event, and these guys are super organized and keeping this thing flowing. So. It's, uh, it's getting pretty exciting. Yeah, as we've mentioned before, 31 teams represented, plus we'll introduce that 32nd wild card, I would say sometime within the next month. And the way that they're rolling out the lists, I, I guess we've got a little bit of insider information. Like I, I can see all of the participants in the uh, that, that have been confirmed to this point in the All-State shootout, but the way that they're kind of rolling them out to the public is one class at a time, which is uh, pretty cool, pretty exciting. And the first class that was just released today, which obviously we're recording this on Tuesday the 6th, is the Top Bulb Dragster category. Like I say, I got some stitches in my mouth, Jed. I'll let you kind of read these off. This is a who's who of bracket racing, um, obviously yeah. within, the, uh, within the dragster ranks here. Yeah, some seriously accomplished competitors here quickly run down the list top bulb dragster is our category and our only category we'll discuss today so i won't mention that again but alabama is timmy smith arkansas is darren spears california is kyle seipel colorado has yet to name their top bulb dragster competitor florida is troy williams jr georgia is jeremy hancock illinois is brian folk team illinois In- team illinois go go luke Indiana is Mark Seymour. Iowa is Lane Dickin. Kansas is J.R. Loebner. Kentucky is Josh Baker. Louisiana is Johnny Brackett Racing, Johnny Ezel. Maryland is Bobby Spence. Michigan is Bill Swain. Mississippi is Josh Enroth. Minnesota is Jeff Cheney. Man, you forget some of these guys got... Tons of talent, and it's just name after name after name. Uh, Missouri is Glenn Dilday. Nebraska is Bo Sanders. New Jersey is Brian Brown. New York has yet to name their top bulb dragster competitor. North Carolina is Jeff Dobbins II. Ohio is Randy Schuer Jr. Oklahoma is Jerry Story. Ontario, Canada is Russ Adams. 
Pennsylvania is Mike Morris. South Carolina is Shane Maddox. South Dakota and Tennessee have yet to name this category. How about Texas? South Dakota sending a team? South Dakota yeah, is a long way from Memphis. That is cool. And I, you know, when we were at Vegas, I saw quite a few competitors from South Dakota and didn't realize there was any even racket racers there. So looking forward to seeing this team fail out and who's on it. Texas is the Peep Show, Peeps Pennington. Virginia is the other Troy Williams. And Wisconsin is Eric Anderson. That is 31 teams. Again, the 32nd team, the wild card will be named some point here in the very near future. But, uh, well, we had four the states out of 31 that has not named their top bulb dragster, but quite a list right there, Luke. That's yeah, some tough. Yeah, I mean, you listed off 27 names, and uh, I would say for the most part, at least within the sportsman drag racing world, household names. I guess I'm just I'm looking through this, trying to do a little bit of off the cuff analysis, like of that group. If I had to pick out like the most accomplished lifetime, you know, career. Probably lean toward Troy Williams Jr., TWJ. Yeah, um, no doubt. If, and then there's so many big names on here. I, like, career accomplishments. Mark Seymour's got to be close. I mean, that dude was winning races when I was in diapers. Yes. How, what would you say of that group? Like, who's been the hottest over the last year? Ezel? Ezel's definitely going to be one of those guys. Uh, Shane Maddox is is always hot. Peeps always hot. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, if you if you're looking for a sleeper, and I hate to give this guy the name sleeper, but you just don't hear about guys from Minnesota and those states very often. Jeff Cheney is no joke. No, that Jeff dude is an, an all timer. I mean, and then this list, like again, Mark Seymour, Kyle Seipel, Jeff Cheney, like that. Those are if there's a drag race in Hall of Fame, those guys are Hall of Famers. Yeah. Um, Cheney, I guess living in Minnesota, you just don't get an opportunity to get to all of the great races. Yeah, no, and, and, and Jeff, I think, has taken a little bit different priority in life over the last five years or so. Like, I don't believe he's been racing as much. I think he's been back at it a little bit. I know he was in Chicago last weekend at the divisional event. But uh, that's a guy that, like, he used to roll down to Texas Raceway into uh, Noble, Oklahoma, back when I was a kid in an old dragster that didn't look like much and it said incognito on the side but after a six <laughs> down south jeff cheney was no longer incognito because like he ran himself in the final multiple occasions like that yeah that was one of the winningest drivers of that era and like i've said on the show before like this stuff's kind of like riding a bike you don't forget how uh, yeah and no jeff doubt. cheney can still do it. i know we were at brainerd a couple of years ago for the national event and uh, i saw jeff's name on the entry list talked to him a little bit there i don't believe he had sat in a race car in three or four years and uh, he lost to gary stennett in the semifinals so <laughs> yeah, yeah sounds he, about right <laughs> right so i uh, let me put you on the spot 27 names there obviously there was not would not be one name that would surprise you if you said today, okay, J.R. Lopner won or whoever, you know, on go on down the list. But sure. just gut instinct right now, if you had to pick one, who's jumping out to you? Oh, man, that is so difficult. Um, you know, I, I'm trying not to be a homer here. Obviously, I'd love to see that be Timmy Smith. Uh, but for just the sake of being as unbiased as I can, I will not pick the Alabama Slammer. Uh, honestly, a guy that just makes stupid good runs and he's fast and just hard to beat is Lane Dickin. So, and Lane has performed extremely well in the big events. And uh, I would expect Lane to come down here and, and show the guys 
that I was no joke. Yeah, he is one that really seems to step up on a big stage. It's a good pick. I'll go a little bit off the, the grid, I, I guess, for whatever reason, like a guy that I just don't think gets as much credit as he deserves because I've seen him in action. I, I, just the one that jumps out at me, Jeremy Hancock. That's George. I almost Wilson. said Jeremy. Yeah, well, I'm glad you didn't. You know, me. I don't know where I'd have gone other than that. So if we were picking today, I, I think I'd uh, I'd slide a few chips into the middle on Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy stays around the house relatively close, but he's bad news, as you said. So, But again, as you know, this could be anybody on the list. And as I'm seeing it really start to take shape now, it's just it's getting me more and more fired up. I, I can't wait to see that matchup after matchup after matchup play out. Yeah, the, the second weekend of September, this is going to be special. This is really going to be neat. Okay, last weekend, uh, NHRA national event way up in the Northeast. I mean, like way up in the Northeast. I remember back when Epping was an IHRA track when I was growing up, and I had, uh, this was when IHRA first came to Texas. Like I had done well at some division races, and my dad and I left Texas and drove to Stanton, Michigan to run a national event. And I told my dad on the way there, I'm like, you know, if we win here, we should just go on to Epping. That's next weekend. You know, that way I can make enough nationals to compete. My dad's like, okay. I'm thinking, you know, we're in Michigan. Like, how far could New Hampshire be? And then we looked at an atlas. And from Texas to Michigan was like 24 hours. And we weren't halfway to Epping. Oh, wow. Thankfully. That I is way up there. I didn't win at Stanton. Because I'm pretty sure my dad would have took me home anyway. But... <laughs> The moral of that story is Epping, New Hampshire is a long way from just about anything else in the racing world. But uh, since they've gone NHRA, I think this is the third NHRA national event at Epping, somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, I think you're about right. It's become one of the uh, kind of destinations on the schedule. Everybody that I've never been up there, but everyone that uh, goes talks about how cool of an experience it is, how uh, how different a place it is. And obviously the racing is what we're used to everywhere. So, actual on-track results from uh, Epping Top Dragster saw Deborah DeGenova get the win over Scott Hall. Yep, Debbie was at, um, she was at the Spring Flame Galat, so uh, okay, she's nice. got fast stuff, so good for Debbie. Good to see her get it done. I'll let you take over on the results reading again. Goofy mouth oh, here. Stitches, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Top, sportsman, <laughs> top sportsman was John Benoit over Matt Harper. Super comp was Rich Door again, a guy that that uh, does seems to do quite well all the time. Just doesn't get enough recognition or get to travel quite as much. But he got the win over uh, Raymond Fredericks. And stop me if you've heard this before. Now this is a guy from White House, Tennessee, but he made his way to Epping and <laughs> made it pay off again. Super gas, John Labouse Jr. I mean, just amazing. Got the win over Chuck Rothermill, but Luke, I mean, caboose. It just keeps doing it. It's, it's hard to believe. Yeah. My first instinct when uh, I saw that Little John had won Super Gas again at Epping was to just call it and say, okay, it's over. He's the world champ, right? <laughs> I don't know that you can completely do that in June, but wow. I mean, he's got 614 points through the minimum full slate of events. He's been now to three national events and five divisionals. Typically, I'd say 650 wins the world. So he's three and a half rounds away from having a score that I would say should win the world championship. He's got six more races to get those three and a half more rounds. Oh, my um, goodness. 
four wins in the eight events that he's attended thus far, which is impressive enough, but even more impressive when you realize, like, by his standards, he didn't have a great start to the year. He didn't win at his first three. He has won <laughs> four of the last five races that he's attended in Supergas. Oh, my goodness. Is it over? I guess. <laughs> you, let, me, let me play devil's advocate. I'll make off. Yes. Way. If you are one of the Supergas competitors that still has ambitions of being the 2017 world champion, here's your argument. Okay. To this point, while Little John does have four event wins in just eight races, his worst performance is a third-round loss. And again, he has made the minimum number of races that would count toward your national event or your, your national championship total. So seeing as he's now trying to improve a third-round loss, like it is conceivable that while he's got 614 points now, like he could end the season at 614 points. Like It's not easy to win the third round. Okay, so that's yep. possible. And if you're clinging to hope, two of those four wins were short events, five-round races, which is just 95 points, which is only 10 points less than winning a seven-round race. But that's a round. You know what I mean? That, that obviously he's not going right. to improve a win. So there is some margin there for somebody to get really hot. But while I'm not ready to say, like, it's over, Little John's your 2017 Supergas World Champion, it's definitely trending in that direction. To this point, A, no one else looks particularly strong. Although, again, in some areas of the country, it's very early. Like Mike Sawyer was one of my picks. Team Luke, I think Mike Sawyer's been to one event. So, like, who's yeah. to say he couldn't get hot and go win three or four races? But, again, John LaBush Jr. has been to three national events, five divisionals. You get to claim your best three out of six national. You get to claim your best five out of eight divisionals. So he's got six more races to go to. Oh, my goodness. If he win, I mean, let's say that he wins one of those. He's going to improve by 50-plus points. And then you're looking at 670-something. Like, it's pretty rare that anybody gets 670-something. And it's not like we're talking about some flash-in-the-pan racer here. He is John LaBoose Jr. Like, he's not going to go cheap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. He's, the odds of him winning another race are pretty good. And what I think the scariest part of all of this is we've talked about how outstanding a season he's having. He is leading Supergas, obviously, in, in what looks like a runaway right now. He's also leading Super Comp national standings. And the scariest part right now is that I just told you the reasons that like somebody might be able to get hot and overtake him in Supergas. While his current points total in Supercomp is not as high, I could argue that he's got a higher ceiling in Supercomp. Like no. all, all three of his wins are full 105 wins, and he's got junk to throw away. Like He's got a couple of first-round losses, so he's going to make a big move at some point when he improves on those. Like, I don't think it's crazy to say that at the end of the season, he's going to have more points in Super Comp than he does in Super Gas. And that's scary. Yeah, knowing him like I do, it wouldn't surprise me. I no. Mean, he has great equipment, great talent, and obviously he is making it work every time he goes to the racetrack. So. Yeah, and at this point, and not that I, I would say that someone of his talent level ever lacks for confidence, but it's got to be at an all-time high right now. Yeah, no doubt. So moving on to Superstock, something uh, pretty special, and I, I don't know for a fact but i would bet this not the first time this has happened but uh, the the uh, warner twins byron and brian a couple of tough tough super stock racers from the northeast squared off with byron getting the win 
in uh, in that category. So I'm sure that was pretty special for those guys. Special day for that actually brings up a good question. I don't know the answer to. You guys chime in. Like Jed said, I'm sure that's been done. I don't have Silent Peter ever run in the national event final. You know, I don't know Edmund and or, Scotty or Edmund and Scotty. Yeah, but. I would think that Byron and Brian, as long as they've been doing it, they could have possibly done it at least at the divisional level yeah, uh, somewhere. But, but that's interesting. I think, so maybe uh, I think Jody and Toby Lang did this once. Ah, yeah, I bet that happened for sure. That somehow rings in my head. But again, we're just completely off the cuff here. Listeners, chime in. Hit us up on the Facebook page. Let us know. I think there's been a couple of father-son finals too, but specifically brothers, national event finals. Hit us up. I'm sure this has happened. Give us a reminder. Yeah. And stock, uh, David Ficacci, which is a super tough stocker racer, got by Thomas Auger. And Super Street, Brian Sawyer, got the win over Kerry Corey. And uh, that was uh, in Brian's national event debut. So that was uh, that would be pretty special. Yeah, pretty neat. Uh, Brian is uh, Mike Sawyer's little brother. Brother Mike, son to Ray. He is the fourth Sawyer to uh, win an NHRA national event while joining Ray, Mike, and Mike's wife, Carrie. Neat note here. I saw the picture of the car. That Camaro has been in the Sawyer family for a long time. It is the same car that his brother Mike won his first national event in back in 2003 at Bristol. It's also the same car that Ray won the New England Dragway Track Championship in back in 1993. So uh, I would say oh, that Camaro may be as much a member of the family as Brian and Mike themselves. <laughs> Pretty cool. Wow. have been hanging around winning races for quite a while. No doubt. Some pretty special stuff there happened at uh, New Hampshire, but uh, we'll move on to uh, Division Three Lucas Oil event at Route 66 Raceway, and we'll kind of breeze through here and tell you that top dragster saw Wayne Slieger get the win over Tom Martino. Uh, top sportsman was Bad Eye Brineger. Now, that's is that, uh, that's that, it, the, is that a real name? Like, yeah, not that's, a nickname? that's a top 10. That's fantastic. Sure. <laughs> Got the win over Alex Bosak. By the way, some of these guys need to get a name change. This is, this is tough. Super comp was uh, Jacob Elrod over Pat Martin. So Jacob, you know, back to his winning ways again, as always. Another one having a heck of a season in, in 890 and 990 both. Yeah. Super gas saw Dave Dalem get the win over Devin Eisenhower. Dalem. Dave Dalem. Dave Dalem. Okay. Sorry about that, Dave. Super stock was uh, Jeff Donna which Jeff is a very accomplished racer, getting it done again with the win over Nick Morris. Stock was Bob Gibson over Stephen Zorny. I is think it, it's DeJorny. It, I may be wrong there. I'll, I'll roll with you, whatever you want to go with. If it is DeJorny, well done on the pizza. That was a heck of a job. <laughs> Super Street was Mark Smith over Scott Mackey. That wrapped up the uh, divisional there at Route 66 and carries us to uh division five getting an event at srca drag strip yeah that's in great bend kansas home of the original nhra u.s nationals i think it was u.s nationals was first wow. at, at great bend i've made one trip to great bend it was a cool experience i actually went to this race i left really? houston not not this race this year this race maybe five or six years ago i left the national event at houston raceway park Drove to Great Bend, Kansas, and this is how prepared I was for my trip. When I entered and they gave me the flyer, I went, huh, index here's 905. Must be an elevation track. Had no idea, right? Just I just drove till I got to Great Bend, Kansas. Well, I thought, 
A, I turned on my weather station, and I tapped it a couple of times that this thing's got to be broke. Like, I've never been to Denver. It's as close, I think, racing-wise as you can get to Denver without being at elevation. And the guys from Denver would tell you, Great Bend ain't nothing, okay? But, like, the barometer read, like, 26-something. Like, I've never seen that. And I just looked at it and thought, okay, well, like, I just, last weekend in Houston, I went 886 with this number. Like, that's got to be under. You know what I mean? It's got to be faster than 905. I'll just leave all that alone, go make a run, see where I'm at. I went 922. (laughs) Wow. When everybody is there telling us it's the craziest, like, swing I've ever seen, or one of the craziest swings I've ever seen at, at a racetrack, everybody is telling me, as we're making our time trials, don't worry about it. It ain't going to matter tomorrow. I'm like, what do you mean? Cold front's blowing in. I'm like, okay. You know, how how big a deal could it be? I wake up Sunday morning. We're going into first round. And I get up. I was in my living quarters trailer. I had the windows up. I get up. And I thought, well, it's cooler. But, like, it's kind of sticky. Like, there ain't no way it's that fast. And I get out, you know, 630 in the morning. I'm kind of an early riser. I uh, look at my weather station. I thought, man, they were really blowing that out of proportion. Like it was literally like three or four hundreds fast from the day before. The way I figure my weather, no big deal. Roll the cars out. I think I got the front end off the Corvette, running the valves or something. And I look up behind me, and the sky is just pitch black. Like there looks like there could be a tornado five miles away. <laughs> Wind starts blowing. What had been a uh, direct headwind all weekend is like the flags on my trailer are are leaned over touching the ground like 50 mile an hour direct tailwind i quickly load up put the cars back in the trailer like this is gonna be awful it never rained so now i'm in a mad rush trying to get unloaded to go up for first round and i was parked beside jeff lopez and at the time jeff hadn't been to many nhra hadn't hadn't run a whole bunch of super comp super gas so we're kind of scrambling and he says hey man how fast do you think it is? And I'm like, I hadn't even had a chance to look at the weather yet. And they're, they're calling first round of super comp. And he goes, well, I think it's like 700 fast. I go, okay, well, I'll check it. And I'll tell you what I think when we go up there. So he drives to the stage lanes and I run the weather real quick. And I go, Oh my God, like I've never seen anything like this. So I drive up to the staging lanes and Jeff says, how fast do you think it is? I said, how fast did you have it? Like 700. I go, well, I'm not going to tell you. He says, what do you mean? I said, one of us is way wrong. And I don't want to mess you up. <laughs> no, man, you know, man, you do this way more often than I do. Like, you got to tell me. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to. How fast is it? I said, I got it like 23 fast. 2300? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that I trust my ratios when it's that big a swing, but that's, that's what I come up with. There ain't no way. I go, well, there may not be. Like, one of us is obviously wrong. So he turns around and goes to Gary Stinnett in the staging lane. Stinnett does all of Jeff's carburetors, and he says, hey, I don't want to, like, get information that i'm not entitled to but like just wind alone like what do you think the wind is worth from yesterday to today and gary looks around and goes here and we are literally in the middle of a field and there is no structure in sight like there is nothing to block any of the wind he says here eight and jeff's eyes light up and he looks at me he goes how much were you figuring for the wind i said like four so you're telling me you think it's 23 fast and you're giving 400s for the win and he's telling me the wind's worth eight. Like it might be three tenths fast. I'm like, it might be. <laughs> Good luck. And I think that's like a weekly occurrence at Great Bend. So. Oh, sounds <laughs> sound like a driver's track. Kudos to those guys. So. <laughs> and that's the thing about Division 5, like the the just the locations that they race in. A, it's way spread out. 
and you run some of the craziest conditions. Like I think Brainerd's odd, like for weather changes. And that's yeah. nothing. Like Division Five goes to Brainerd, they go to Great Bend, they go to Denver, and then they run what I would consider like normal tracks. Like it, it used to be Cordova, but now Tri-State, Neuroville. Like those are that's conditions that I'm used to. Like they run the gamut. Yeah, it sounds pretty rough. <laughs> uh, I, but I I don't know how their weather was for this event, but the guy that figured it out and top dragster was George Slatten. Got the win over Dustin Long. The top sportsman was. I'm careful here. Let me slow down. Michael. <laughs> Chitty over <laughs> Dusty Mayer or Meyer, excuse me. <laughs> Super comp was uh, Mark Graham over Nick Folk. Nick the Folk. Uh, Super, uh, we don't we can't give his nickname. Super guest <laughs> Tim Nicholson over Bradley Johnson. How about Tim Nicholson? That's just a side. Uh, that is a sorry. I'm not real good with my clutch terminology. That is either a four speed or a five speed. No way. Early model Camaro with a top-end throttle stop. I saw in the final there, I believe he ran the 10.05 index. I think he went 10.04 at like 105 mile an hour. Holy smoke. Get you some of that with the 170 mile an hour Super Gas car. <laughs> yeah. It worked out well for Tim. Super Stock was Mike Town over Norman Marsden. Stock saw Ryan Montford get the win over Chris Cheney. And Super Street was Wade Samuel over John Kastner. So those guys figured out those challenging conditions there at Great Bend better than everybody else. Congratulations to them. Uh, our last NHRA event on uh, our topic list here is the Division Six event at Mission Raceway that uh, saw top dragster. I'll, so, I'll take over for you, Jeff. I feel bad. Like you're just having to read off all the results. I'll, I'll do this. Oh, I mean, okay. You go ahead, bud. Uh, top dragster at uh, the Division Six event saw Dan Provost uh, knock off David Euchre. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I would go Buecher. Uh In Canada, it can't be Boucher. <laughs> yeah, it could be a lot of things. It could be Boucher. That's true. All right. Top sportsman Pat McNally over the third. Mike Furderer. Super comp saw Andy Morris knock off Justin Jewell. In super gas, it was Ed Hutchinson over Steve Laskowski. And I know uh, Laskowski, that's a name that we talked about on a previous episode. I think that's his second uh, Division Six final round in the super gas category. I think um, you're right. Did you happen to see the super stock final? It was Mark Fall over Chris Barton. And what yes, was- I did intriguing about i don't have the numbers in front of me but this was a heads-up final gth automatic and i think barton outran mark by over a tenth yep i think you're right and mark had the tree like i think he was 11 to 170 or something and snuck eased out like a fairly comfortable victory despite getting outrun a tenth that's uh one of the beauty of those uh heads up stock super stock uh races tough break for uh mr barton but pretty cool for mark i could be wrong but i think i saw mark post on facebook this was his first time out like not just this year but in like quite a while since like middle of last year or something yeah his show has not been on the road much at all so cool to see him back and obviously back in the winter circle a pretty familiar place for yeah. uh, for mark fall stock like this could be uh, one that's on repeat like i guarantee you that these two have met up in division six stock eliminator finals like more than a couple of times Joe Sorensen got the win over Jody Lang, uh, a couple of D6 stalwarts uh, in the stock eliminator class. And rounding things out was uh, the Super Street class, where Dustin Ward got the win over Chris Cannon the second. 
So that clears up all of the points racing that we have on the docket for this show. So we're going to move into some bracket racing and, uh, you know, a class that I'm passionate about, the bottom bulb stuff. The no-box bonanza was held at Norwalk this weekend, Luke. I think they had uh, a great crowd. I had didn't get a great forecast, but it was just another one of those deals where it all worked out. And they had, uh, I think, about 350 or so entries, so a really good crowd. And I'm sure they managed it well because everybody seemed to be really happy. But a couple of uh, guys that are very familiar with the Winter Circle and the Norwalk Winter Circle at that, and our good buddy Edmund Ellison, double E, got the win. He uh, was obviously second to his brother in the next big thing, uh, Caleb Ellison. He got the win over Randy Biddle Jr., RBJ, uh, making another big money final round. He's had a, a great year as well. But that final, Luke, was uh, was pretty nasty for a couple of bottom bulb guys. <laughs> I saw that. But uh, uh, Biddle, uh, uh, what, seven take nine? and uh, Yeah. Barely on the same racetrack as uh, as Double E there. Edmund was a Double O Five One Thigh Wonder, and yeah. I tell you this: if I was Bill Bader, if I was you with the World Footbear Challenge, because you guys fight a lot of the same issues, like if there would be a way to turn off Facebook for the weekend, it would keep people <laughs> like me sitting at home interested in coming to your races. <laughs> Because I saw, I bet I saw a dozen time slips posted from the No Box Bonanza at Norwalk. And I don't think I could consistently beat the losing run on any of them. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It was double O take double O, double O dead on. I know that there were some rounds contested throughout the weekend that weren't that nasty. But sure. every time it popped up on my news feed, it looked like not just a top ball brace. It looked like the toughest top ball brace in the world. Yeah, that's that's one of the challenges we have with the WFC. That the non nasty runs don't get any any traction and they don't get any attention. <laughs> it's always just the nasty ones. Yeah. So every time that I'd kind of think, you know, man, it'd be fun to go do some no box racing again. I just look at some of those and go, no, no. I remember doing that. That's, that's it's not that fun. A lot of what I saw, they could let me bring my box and it'd oh. be go. That's Go box I, racing and wouldn't do me any good. That's what I told you at the Southern Footbreak Challenge last year. He said, well, had, what'd you think of the weekend, Luke? I said, I think you could let me use my delay box and I wouldn't have beat anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Saturday, the 5K saw my good buddy Matt Dattis get the win over a young man that has just come on the scene hard. And he is very impressive. Luke, I don't know how much you get to see what little Phil Combs is doing. Bub is what they call him, but. He's taken a, you know, just a, a mid-range foot brake ride, and he is winning a lot of races at home. He put it on the big stage and made a big money final round. Lil Phil Combs, obviously, he's got great teacher in his father, uh, tremendous supporting cast, but he's going to be a name to be reckoned with. And for those of you that don't know Matt Dattis, that guy just, he seems to get it done a lot around yeah. the country, so... Now in, Couple in tough races. multiple classes, real happy for Matt, real happy for little Phil. And to your point, like, no, I haven't gotten to race with little Phil. I don't know at all. Certainly not much, but from what I've read and I know that he's got a heck of a teacher, definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with. And it looks like he already is. Yeah, he is tough out already. And it's just going to get worse as he, you know, gets the, the typical hot rod we see competing in these big events. Sunday was another 10K, and it saw Dale Eckert get the win over a guy that's 
won a bunch of our money at the Southern and the World Foot Brake Challenges and just wins and Matt Obertanic. And that was interesting, Luke. I, I think I saw Clay Tyler posted on uh, Drag Race Results about this, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it probably is the first big money final round that has been uh, decided by True Start. Uh, Matt left last, and he was 010 red to Eckert's 003 red up front. And so True Start gave the win over to Eckert there and as Matt took a, a runner-up position back to Pennsylvania. Hmm. Interesting. That's a that's a monumental uh, day for the True Start folks and really for Peter and Kyle, the, the initiators of the True Start system. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. There was some racing supposed to be held down in my part of the country. Huntsville Dragway was uh, supposed to have the Huntsville Engine Drive for five, and Montgomery Motorsports Park or Montgomery Raceway Park, excuse me, was uh, supposed to have their familiar Super 7 series. And we just really had a bad, bad forecast in Alabama for several days, not just the weekend. And both of those, uh, both of those events went ahead and canceled just to keep racers from showing up and sitting in the rain. And as luck would have it, it didn't rain nearly as much, but rain definitely would have uh, affected both events in some shape, form, or fashion. So really good call on their part just to give up in that, that time and uh, try to move it to another another weekend, which actually Montgomery just moved all of theirs to their uh, Labor Day uh, finale. It's going to be uh, four fifteen grander. so Labor Day if you're don't have much going on look to montgomery raceway mega, park mega blowout down there in south alabama yeah should be really good but so that wraps up the the points racing and the bracket racing and um we are uh, we're going to bring jj in here in just a little bit and, and yeah, talk to him yeah. really, really excited about that yeah our next segment will be one of the most fun certainly for you for me as well on the uh, on the sportsman drag racing podcast looking forward to having uh, jj pennington on with us next Joining us now on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is a uh, is a very special guest. It's not too often that we get to introduce a uh, an 11 year old bracket race announcer and a seasoned one at that. Also, arguably, it's definitely the largest Facebook following of any 11 year old that I know, thanks to the Living Room Nationals. But uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome JJ Pennington. What's happening, buddy? Nothing much. Uh, really excited to be on and um, looking forward to answering the questions. Happy to have you, man. I don't know how we have gone through six months of the show without at least having a cameo appearance from JJ. For our listeners that, that may not be particularly familiar, JJ, with you and your work, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself here? You're 11 years old. Uh, obviously, it's it's summer break. What grade are you going into when you go back? Next year, I'll be in sixth grade. Sixth grade. What school? Fortendale Elementary School. Very nice. And how long have you been working the uh, behind the microphone announcing sportsman bracket racing? Uh, about seven years now. No kidding. Seven whole years. Wow. <laughs> when and where do you remember what was the first race that you got behind the mic? It was the... Um, World Foot Brake Challenge at Bristol, Tennessee. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I think his uh, his first time on the mic, Luke, was 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I know that, that Jed could go on about this for hours, probably having as much experience in the announcing booth as he does. But I'm curious from your perspective, JJ, like as someone that's never done it or, or very rarely done it. And most of our listeners are in the same boat as me, like never dreamed of what it's like to stand up there and actually call the action. What's the hardest thing about announcing a bracket race that we might not think of being on the other end of the speaker? Well, really, it's kind of hard because, you know, you're focusing on getting the numbers right and adding them up correctly, and you don't want to mess up and maybe someone laugh at you or something, not saying that that's ever happened, I mean, from what I know of. Yeah, it's a good point. It is. Uh, it's You want to get the numbers right because you want the people that are listening to know what happened in the race, and that's the way bracket racing does, so you... That is right. It's, you're right. It's one of the hardest things for sure. Do you worry sometimes about kind of walking the line? Because obviously you know a lot of the competitors, so there's got to be some inherent bias involved. Like, I mean, there's certainly people that you root for, people that you probably make sound maybe better than you are, and people that, that are better than they are, I should say, and, and people that you may not intentionally kind of, you know, make fun of. Like, how, how careful do you have to be about walking that line? You have to be real careful because if you see something that you want to make fun of, you got to kind of <laughs> ease up and not go as fast as you want to because it'll just slip right out. Probably easier to make fun of somebody that you know. Would I, what, is that fair? I don't really know if it's fair, but it is <laughs> kind of easier. Yeah, we, we've kind of got a rule. You you got to really know somebody before you pick at them, but... Uh, he's he's getting a little little more comfortable with that, knowing who he can and who he can't, Luke. But uh, we've had our challenges over the years for sure. We, you know, we kind of got to earn the right to do that. But I, I think he's getting there. Yeah, I could see that for sure. JJ, what's the coolest part of it? The the most fun of the uh, the announcing sequence for you? The coolest part is when I go to a race and someone who knows my dad who hasn't met me or something. When I go and then I they see me or something and they come up and they tell me how good I am and shake my hand and tell me that I'm that I do a really great job. Yeah, and you do. That's well deserved, and I can speak to that firsthand. Outside, too, I can only imagine. It's you know it's really exciting when the, the people come and let him know they appreciate what he's doing. It's it's really good feeling. No, you two on the mic, together especially, I mean, obviously both of you are excellent individually, but together is just a really cool dynamic for the listener, as you you guys, I, I probably don't realize, but could imagine. JJ, in addition to the World Footbreak Challenge, the Southern Footbreak Challenge, like, I, from what I understand, you've had an opportunity to, to announce at a lot of the same events that, that Jed has. What have been some of the biggest ones to date, some of the most enjoyable uh, experiences for you? Definitely the Spring Flings uh, that I've been to and the Million Dollar Race up in Montgomery and really just a bunch of big money bracket races that he gets to go to. Yeah, that is cool. Any that are uh, on your bucket list that you haven't maybe gotten to attend or haven't gotten to work that you'd really like to at some point? Vegas. Uh, I would really like to go to the Spring Fling Million in Vegas. Yeah, that one holds a special place in my heart, too. I'd love to see you there. Yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty cool to get take him out there at some point. 
JJ, we had talked, I think it's been a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago now. Our buddy PJ North, PJ Fouts, had put a what seemed at the time like a, a harmless post on Facebook looking for some uh, racing-related nicknames to incorporate in a, in a future song that he's working on. And I don't think that he anticipated near the response that he got. I think he might have broke Facebook, at least within the racing community. But it got us to thinking between myself and Jed and Mark about some of our favorite nicknames and wanted to kind of bring it up on the show today. What about for you? Is there anything that stands out? Like if you had to to pick out some of your favorite racing-related nicknames, what what comes to mind? Really what comes to mind is uh, Nasty Nick Hastings and uh, Big Nasty Kyle Sopple. Pete, the Terminator, Beyondo, and uh, K. Sizzle, Paz Nail. <laughs> I hadn't heard K. Snizzle. K. Sizzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's his, uh, that's his buddy uh, in the junior world that I've been telling everybody. Okay, that's who you were talking about last week. Yeah, yeah he's bad news. <laughs> A couple of those made my short list, too, JJ. I had Big Nasty on mine. That's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I'm a big fan of Chick with a Stick. That'd be uh, Sheila Holt, uh, stick shift stock eliminator racer from uh, from Texas. It's obviously a simple nickname, you know, because it, but it's very fitting. Chick with a stick, like you don't see that very often. And then uh, if I was to go all time, I'm a big fan of the Delaware Destroyer. Not just the nickname, but the guy in general. That's uh, Danny Bastianelli. You just you got to meet him to appreciate him. But the Destroyer is uh, is fitting. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That is a good one. I would like to be called the Delaware Destroyer. <laughs> you like that? I'd like to be called the Destroyer and period. <laughs> what about the, the double up nicknames? Like that can be kind of tricky. Like uh, back, you know, God rest his soul before he passed away. Ronnie Davis was the king. Well, Edmund Richardson's the king. Like I always wanted to have a match race to see who is the king. <laughs> you know what I mean? The king of kings. Or uh, Ricky Bear and uh, Richard Alford. Right? They're both Slick Rick. Yeah, I just want to pair them up with a real Slick Rick. Please stand up. There's quite a few bad brads out there, too. Yeah, and, and like every rod that's ever staged a race car is Hot Rod, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hot Rod. Hot Rod Fincham. That's one of our favorites. Yeah, there's more than one racing Jason. So, <laughs> You know, uh, Luke, uh, one of the things I'm most proud of of JJ here the last probably year or so, he had tremendous trouble getting through the call when he was calling a race that I was racing in and things didn't go well for me. <laughs> I can uh, see that. Man, it was, uh, it, it just, just kill him. He was not able to get through it. But lately, bud, I think you've done a really good job of keeping it together and, and calling your old dad getting wore out. What do you think? I have, uh, I'm, I'm getting better at that. That's, um, was getting worked on, still in progress. Now, JJ, is that more due to uh, some added experience on your part, or are you just getting used to Dad getting wore out? Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with I'm getting used to him getting wore out. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no, I understand. I feel it every time I go. How did you, uh, how did you, was you, you was watching online, I guess. Was you watching online when Luke wore me out in Vegas? I was. How'd you, how'd you handle that one? I was not happy. <laughs> Neither was I'll your daddy. <laughs> I got happy several rounds later. But, you know, but, <laughs> wasn't very happy right then. 
<laughs> You've done a wonderful job, bud. I, you know, I'm I'm pretty biased here, but I'm going to go ahead and call you the best darn 11-year-old bracket race announcer in the world, not just in our little state and our little country. I'm just going to say straight up the world. So, Yeah, well, I may be slightly biased, certainly not as biased, and I will second that opinion. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud of you. Um, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us a little bit today. It's awesome having you on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, and um, I uh, I hope that uh, that you've enjoyed your time with us. I have. Yeah, JJ, thanks for coming on. We need to make this some sort of regular segment. We need to have an announcer's corner with JJ. Well, this won't be the last time you'll be on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. How about that? Sounds good. Uh, well, he's, he's been pretty nervous, but I'm, I'm sure he's going to enjoy it going forward. So Yeah, it, thanks, hadn't, it hadn't come through. So. <laughs> All right. JJ Pennington, we appreciate you very much. Now get out of here and have a good night. <laughs> thanks, buddy. You're welcome. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land Then you do the L-Ride and you come out like the world champ Alright guys, uh, we're rolling out a new segment on the show this week This won't be a weekly segment, but maybe monthly And it's something really looking forward to We're going to ask you to submit your questions to us On the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page And we want you to use the hashtag Hashtag Racing Answers, and this is uh, a new Racing Answers segment presented by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. Luke, tell us a little bit about it. It sounds so official. Hashtag Racing <laughs> Answers. Like, oh, it is official. I feel like we need to be experts now. Like, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, we got the right guy. <laughs> the right guy is plural. <laughs> Initially, we had talked about doing something along these lines back six months ago when we introduced the podcast and I resisted it because I really wanted to keep like this is bracketracing.com separate from the podcast. Like I look at this as my opportunity to just talk racing more so than put on my instructor cap, so to speak. But in particular with this subject, like it just came to my attention that we can help people on a very basic level. And you'll see as we get into this week's question. And at the same time, it will allow me to give a brief preview of some of the things that we do on This Is Bracket Racing and This Is Bracket Racing Elite, which will be good in a lot of ways as well. This week's topic, I don't even want to call it so much of a question, was actually brought to us by Brandon Lundeen, a friend of the show. This is Bracket Racing Elite member, uh, as a matter of fact, from uh, Utah. And again, it's not so much of a question as a topic and a reminder, so to speak, that we could all use. And this is basically a what will you do if, insert worst case scenario. And what gets me is having done this like in classes or in talking with my friends, my family, other racers. Sometimes when you ask these questions at the track, it's not necessarily the response that I get that scares me as much as the delay in that response. Like most racers will come up with the right answer, but it takes a minute. And if this ever happens, you don't have a minute. So... With that in mind, Jed, I'll let you take the first part of this. Like, let's take that worst yeah. case scenario, so to speak, that heart dropping feeling. You go through the finish line and the throttle sticks wide open. What do you do to get racers thinking along these lines? Like, what should you do? 
Yeah, and, and shout out to Brandon for bringing this up because this is something that should be talked about from the, the time a, a racer gets in a race car, whether they're five years old, seven years old, or when they get in the car and start learning things, these are very important. So what would yeah, you do with the throttle more sticks? Importantly, like be brought up fairly routinely. You know what I mean? Like yep. this is something you want to talk about every month. You know, it may be every week you go to the racetrack. You know what I mean? Just to because the more it's at the forefront of your mind, the easier it's going to be to execute if and when you're in that situation. Absolutely. And it shouldn't be a, a necessarily a rehearsed thing because you want somebody to think quickly on the fly. So catch them at, you know, off moments. Say, what would you do with throttle sticks? Because they need to be able to think that fast if it happens. And, you know, obviously the first thing you, that we teach the juniors and you, you should teach anybody is try to kill the ignition. I um, mean, obviously at throttle sticks and you kill the ignition, you know, you're in pretty good shape. It doesn't matter at that point because it's not trying to continue to move. But if that can't work for you, you can't get to it, whatever the case may be, maybe throw it in neutral. Or if it's a stick car, push the clutch in. I, I Personally, I'd much rather blow it up or whatever than, you know, throttle hang and run it into something. So those steps are the ones you should take first. And obviously pulling the chute, if you have one, is never a bad idea. And throw the laundry out and that should help you at least increase the amount of time you've got to make a decision to get back to steps one, two, three, whatever. So those are things that we should talk about as racers and, and people that are helping people get where they want to be in racing. Yeah, and to even expound on that a little bit further, like, I don't know, those of you that, like, I'm one that every run, I, I put the car in a neutral and shut it off, like, just to yep. save parts, basically, save the that uh, down RPM on the rods and pistons, things like that. But you may notice, like, if you shut the car off in high gear and with an automatic car, like the converter will keep it running for a pretty long period of time. And by that same token, if you shut it off with throttle wide open, like it's still going to carry that wide open momentum until you put it in neutral. Not necessarily until you put it in neutral, but for a brief period of time that at 100 plus mile an hour, it doesn't take long to create a problem. So yep. in addition to clicking off the ignition switch, go ahead and push the clutch in if you're in a clutch car or put it in neutral so that the engine will actually stop. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I kill the engine. I put it in neutral and kill the engine. And it's so habitual for me that once I've reached the point where I give up and I'm not trying to race anymore, I've actually done it before the finish line before just instinctively I'm done racing. You know, I maybe had the guy covered or he couldn't get down the track, whatever. And I've actually clicked it off before the finish line, which is not a really good move on my part and embarrassing to say, but <laughs> it, it's just an instinctive thing that I do kill the engine. And I think it, it's a good habit to get into. Have you ever found yourself in that situation, Jed? Throttle ever stuck on you? I have not. Uh, at, well, I say that I have not at the finish line. I have coming out of the burnout before uh, throttle throttle has hung. and um, scarier. Yeah, killed the ignition and, you know, got it stopped safely. It wasn't too big a deal, but never at the finish line. I hope that I can solve it with just my normal routine, but uh, certainly we'll think about some of the other things to do if not. Yeah, no, I agree. Thankfully, never been through that myself. The other topic, though, what would you do if I have been through a couple of times, I'll get to, but that is one of the scariest and most defeating feelings in the world when you go through the finish line, go for the brake pedal, and uh, it falls to the floor. In no. this instance, your sequence is much, much different than what we just talked about at the throttle sticks because with no brakes, you have obviously very limited options for slowing the car down. 
Number one, again, if you have a parachute, it is never a bad idea for your first instinct to be to pull that parachute in the event that anything out of the ordinary happens, from the car getting sideways to the throttle stick and to not having brakes. Like, the parachute is almost always your friend in those situations. Now, in the instance that you go through the finish line and don't have brakes, it's complete opposite of the throttle stick and wide open. The throttle stick's wide open. The first instinct you want to have is to shut the motor off. When you don't have brakes, the motor is your friend. You need that deceleration to help you slow down, to kill some momentum. So you want to leave the car running and in gear so that you can have that deceleration slowing you down. And then when you get to a point where you lose a little bit of momentum, even, certainly the next step is to downshift. I mean, most of us are power glide application. You're going to go back and forth, low to high, low to high, low to high until the motor gets down to a, a reasonable RPM. Or if you're running out of room, just keep it in low. Who cares about blowing up the motor at that point? Again, don't kill it. I got to have the uh, the deceleration of the motor helping you out. If you are in a trans brake equipped car, like I wouldn't be afraid at some point to, when you're running out of real estate, pull that thing in low and mash the trans brake. Worst case, you're going to replace a transmission. That's a lot better than replacing a race car or getting her yeah. hurt. And then two, like, this is one where you don't ever really want to think about this or talk about this, but there are times when it is necessary to have a backup plan and like, okay, what is my exit strategy here? And that can vary at different racetracks. Okay. Like there's going to be a point where you tend to run out of room and what's going to happen. Like what's off the end of the racetrack. If you got to go for a ride, and I've seen, like, this was one of the gutsiest and smartest things I've ever seen, as crazy as it may sound. Back in the day when I was growing up at Texas Raceway at Kennedale, the last turnoff is a banked turn, kind of like a, you know, super speedway. But off the top of the bank is a forest, and there is no way around it. Like, and if you've got enough speed, that bank is going to act like a ramp. Melissa Carroll, Moe, who... I don't know if you're familiar with Jed. Uh, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Mo at the time was in a dragster that was fast. You know, for that time, I say she's going maybe four nineties, five O's back in the mid nineties, and went through the finish line. And I want to say, as odd as it may sound, like I think the throttle hung and she didn't have any brakes, but it was some dire situation. Oh wow! And knowing what your options are, she got past the guardrail. The guardrail ends in the left lane and opens into what would be the pits if there was a ton of cars there, but it basically just opened into a, a field. And as gutsy and as daring as this sounds, she cut the wheel and barrel rolled in the field. And I'm telling you, that's a way better option than going off that ramp into the forest. Yeah. And having oh, yeah. the presence of mind to do that again, that was something like that was her home track. And that was obviously something that she had thought about and talked about and had a plan. And having a plan and having the guts to execute it are two different things. But like as crazy as it sounds to say like she barrel rolled eight times in the grass, that was by far the safest option. So yeah, that's good decision making. Yeah, and that, but it's something to keep in mind for all of us. Like there's tracks where there's little harm in riding off the end and going for a ride, even if it sometimes it may take you a mile to get stopped. Uh, <laughs> but there's tracks where that's not a good option at all. Yeah. So something to keep in mind. And, and two, think about what you're driving. Like, this sounds really stupid, but the one thing that scared me to death, because I always kind of go through these situations, what could happen in the back of my mind. And it sounds silly because it was one of the slowest competition cars that I ever raced regularly. But when I drove in Stock Eliminator, that was my biggest fear, was not having brakes in the Stock Eliminator car. Because, A, number one, you don't have a parachute. You don't have a trans brake. 
And the way that the transmission was set up in that, it was a it was a three speed turbo three fifty, but it made the one two shift internally. And the way that the valve body was set up in that, like when you were just driving around the pits, like it would just go in to drive. And you couldn't manually get it back until you stopped. Mm. So I'm thinking like if A, it's a stock eliminator car, so they're made to push with a finger. Like you want as little resistance as you can. And if I didn't have brakes, like there is no way to slow that down. And that thing would probably roll for 10 miles at 100 yeah. miles an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like my, literally my game plan there, if something crazy was to happen and it breaks, like I was just going to have to scrub it up against the guardrail. Like there's no yeah. other way to stop. And we saw as experienced and as great a driver as Peter Biondo is, like he had a the worst crash of his career in a stock eliminator car. Just that happened. The brake rod fell out of the master cylinder in the wheel stand which you have no idea that happens until you go for the break at the finish line. Mm. And, uh, and he went off the end of Orlando, wrapped around a tree into a swamp, like on fire. And nobody even knew he was down there. Cause who's looking at the end of the racetrack and stock eliminator. Yeah, um, good point. Yeah. Just scary s- scenario. But again, you just kind of want to go through that. Okay. In this particular car, if the worst case scenario happens, what am I going to do? And again, you go through the obvious, but uh, if the obvious doesn't work, like you've got to have an exit strategy, you got to have a backup plan. And like I say, I've been fortunate twice, actually, in my career. I've gone through the finish line, hit the brake pedal, and it bounced off the floorboard and hit me in the foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was in my old Nova, a backup car, actually at Kennedale, but I was going like 660s, and Kennedale's not, or you know, obviously not in operation anymore, not particularly short. Plus you had that bank turn, which was actually helping me. And I was able to just go low to high, low to high, low to high, and get it to where a manageable speed to make that turn. And the other one was actually in the Ultimate 64 in a dragster. I guess a wheel screw on the wheel that actually caught the brake line sometime between the staging process and the finish line, as luck would have it. And, oh. uh, it actually cost me the round because I went, my opponent dropped and I, went to drop and didn't have any brakes. I'd like to think it cost me the round, but it was not a big deal because as it happened, I had a handbrake set up on that car and all it had done was pull the line off of the foot brake. So I was able to grab the handbrake. It was no big deal. Hmm. Um, But uh, again, like something to uh, definitely something to think about. And we urge all of you to kind of think through what would you do in that situation? Yes, uh, definitely great things to think about. And again, stuff that we should talk about more as racers and make sure that we're prepared. And uh, Luke, there's a place they can um, can reference some of this as well. Yeah, actually, without just trying to make a completely shameless plug, I did do a column based on this. It's most of the stuff that we just talked about. But the column on this is BracketRacing.com. It's actually Written Training 62 titled, again, What Will You Do If? So I urge everybody to check that out. Okay, let's pay some bills. Talk about racing RVs for a second. As most of you know, because we've covered it before here on the podcast, Joe Fisher at Racing RVs and I partner on a handful of coaches each season. These are units that are used, affordable, and have built-in features that I personally look for in a racing rig. My family and I use the units for our own racing. We demo them, we display them, and ultimately, we help racers like you purchase them from Racing RVs. The unit that we have right now is the same one that I've been bragging on for about the last month. It is a 2004 show hauler. It was built on a used Freightliner Century chassis, meaning used truck. It was an over-the-road truck before it was converted into a motorhome, so it's got 500,000 miles on it. Um, But again, those are million-mile trucks, so that's not a big deal. It's got a 475-horse Cummins N14, which is a beast, super slide, nice layout, new ceramic floor, new generator, new tires. Uh, It's got an outdoor freezer. It's got an outdoor grill, awning, very family-friendly, 
Plus, it is the best driving unit that I have driven in my, what, four years with racing RVs. It's probably the most comfortable going down the road. And again, it was in its former life an over-the-road truck. So it has dual 120-gallon fuel tanks. You can go a long way before you have to stop for fuel, which is nice. The best part, it's under $100,000. It's priced right now at $99,000. I know that's a lot of money. I'm not trying to pretend it's not a lot of money. But for what it is, that is a steal. For details, more information, photos, check out RacingRVs.com or give Joe Fisher a call at 419-236-1328. In addition to Racing RVs, this week's podcast is presented in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. This Is Bracket Racing Elite is an exclusive group of racers with whom I work individually on all facets of drag racing. What do you get as an elite member? Well, for starters, you get unlimited access to all of the trainings, written and video, on thisisbracketracing.com, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg. In addition, elite members are part of an exclusive Facebook community. Within that, we share results. We give each other feedback on a weekly basis. The community also includes regular trainings from me, live chats in which we discuss topics and questions from our members, and weekly challenges which are typically, but not always, practice tree related to keep our members on point. Personally, I attribute a lot of my success within the last year plus to This Is Bracket Racing Elite, and our members have been killing it on the racetrack as well. So if you're interested to learn more, check out the link on the thisisbracketracing.com homepage or message me directly. All right, guys, it's time for us to feature an event, what we like to do here from time to time when there's a great event coming up. We work with the promoter of the event and we want to shed a little light on a, a great event. And that's the DragRaceResults.com Ultimate Series. Uh, it's coming back to Huntsville Dragway uh, here pretty soon. And yeah, June this, 23rd through the 25th. Yeah, June 23rd through the 25th. I'll be there. Um, I'm fortunate that's in my home state, so I get to attend it. But if you have not visited a DragRaceResults.com event, the, the Ultimate Series at Huntsville, you're missing out. Uh, Luke, I know you've been there and had a lot of success and uh, tell you scott and nicole megan and all of the staff at huntsville dragway just do a wonderful job of putting on a great show yeah it's a great event it's it's huge money which i think is the the main intrigue what, what gets all of our attention it's twenty thousand dollars to win friday it's twenty thousand dollars to win sunday it's fifty thousand dollars to win saturday the payback is excellent the entry fee is lower for 2017 it's just 695 dollars to get in for the weekend again that's two twenties and a 50 grander strong payback throughout one round of buybacks but i think what's most intriguing about the series as a whole is it is without question the best deal and slash richest points fund going for bracket racing, the season champion, which it's just a three weekend series. And our first weekend got cut short in March. We only got one day in. So it's basically just seven events. The driver that wins the most rounds within those seven events is going to get a basically a complete roller 2017 American Race Cars Dragster with a bunch of goodies bolted onto it, $37,000 value. And you think, okay, well, one racer is going to be really happy. There's a lot of racers that are really yeah. happy at the end of the Drag Race Results Ultimate Series. Second place gets a, a motor from the from the folks at Oakley Performance. It's a nineteen thousand dollar value, very nice, five ninety eight. Third place is a set of SR twenty heads from the guys at Brodix. On down to, let's see, like tenth is a is a 
a torque converter from a Bruzy, a $1,200 value. And you go on down to 20th is a um, Altronics Performer Weather Station, $625 value. That's finished in the top 20. And what's cool about this, like, I know Jed and I think it's cool because we didn't do particularly well at the one race that got done in March. Yeah, no um, doubt. Is that it's just one race. Like, um, that's all that's been done so far. So anyone certainly that was there has a fair shot at, at making some noise in this point series. And really to that point, anybody that didn't even show up in March, you're only one race behind. Like you could justify yeah. joining in, chasing after this point steal. Like it's it's not an insurmountable cast in an insurmountable task. I guess Bo Boatner's the leader, but what did he win? Eight rounds in March? Nine rounds? Yeah. So like that. again, like that would be the the deficit that you'd have to overcome. And in six races, you gotta think that that's doable. So everybody yeah. has a shot at this uh, at this points championship. Yeah, Logan, it's, you know, like you say, you don't have to win to win. I mean, they're paying third round winner in all their races. Uh, the points fund goes all the way down to 100 spots. I mean, I don't want to brag or nothing, but I'm sitting 29th right now. So, you know, if it ended today, I've got a, a, a Lincoln welder's uh, helmet and carrying bag, which is a $365 value. So yeah. I'm already looking forward to getting my hands on that. The depth of this points fund is what is absolutely unprecedented. And what is it? Huge. The last 76 to 100 get a $100 JEG gift certificate. I yeah. mean, yeah. it's one thing that somebody hand you a $100 gift certificate, but to JEGs, like that might as well be cash. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it's it's not only that. All of those things are, are wonderful things about the event, but it's just such a racer-friendly race. It's at a great place. Huntsville Dragway is a tremendous facility with tons of parking. It'll hold everybody that wants to come, and it'll hold it well. I mean, the you know, the dragster, like you said, you know, we've got the guy that won first and second last year happens to be part of this podcast, and his name's not Big Jed, so... Uh, Luke, you know firsthand how awesome it is to win those things. Uh, Todd's Extreme is going to have the rendering out uh, for the Dragster paint uh, pretty soon, maybe this week. So keep your eye on dragraceresults.com for that. Yeah, Todd have that. texted me today and said that that would go up this week. And if you've seen any of Todd's work, Todd's painted most of my cars. He's painted a lot of the um, best appearing cars at the racetrack. He painted this car last year and it was a showpiece. So keep an eye out for that. I'm excited to see that rendering, and, and I always like to keep up with Todd's work in general. Yeah, man, it'll be beautiful. Uh, rest assured of that. Everybody knows that. Todd does tremendous work. The The Oakley engine, the $19,000 engine for second, and like you said, on down through the points. Great race at a great place. Scott, Megan, Nicole, all the lemons, they do a tremendous job of making sure the racers are happy. The staff at Huntsville Dragway is top-notch. All the best companies in our sport are involved in this thing, and you should, too. Make sure you attend the DragRaceResults.com Ultimate Series at Huntsville Dragway, June the 23rd through the 25th. Yeah, and Jed, to your point, like you say, you, you don't have to win to win at the Drag Race Results Series with this, the depth of the points. But, boy, if you do win, I can attest to it. It's a game changer. I mean, that series a year ago was again three weekends nine race days obviously i had a lot of good fortune along the way i think i was in three finals of the nine days finished first and second in the points but again that's three weekends of my life that went better than you could probably script them but between the points prizes and the prize money like i literally left huntsville dragway with six figures in wow. nine race days and that's as crazy as wow. that sounds, like that's not unattainable at this series. And I don't think you can say that about any other series. Like, yes, you don't have to win to win, but 
by gosh, if you do win, it can be very, very lucrative. Yep, absolutely, Luke. And uh, everybody needs to be there if you can. Again, folks, you're not out of the points. Uh, you only missed one race day. There's six left, six individual races left. So make sure you show up June 23rd through the 25th at Huntsville Dragway. The DragRaceResults.com Ultimate Series is the place to be. All right, Big Jed, I think that'll wrap up episode 29. We've kept you guys here long enough. I think we're well over an hour. Thank you to our sponsors. Once again, this is Bracket Racing Elite and Racing RVs. As always, want to say thank you. Big shout out to PJ North, as well as our newly hired assistant, Mark Romeo, for their help. Again, if you've got ideas for the show, stuff that you'd like for us to talk about or at least bring to our attention, message the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast page or contact Mark on Facebook or email. His email is mromeo2004 at gmail.com. As you guys know, as faithful listeners, we are the only Sportsman Drag Racing podcast coming to you every week of the calendar year. As far as we know, we are the only Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, so that kind of pulls that out. <laughs> but we do, we will have a new show every single week, typically go up by uh, noon central time on Wednesdays. Guys, make sure you go to the place where you find the podcast and subscribe. That'll make sure that you're alerted when the new podcast is released and you'll be the first one to get it. You'll be out in front of all your friends and the other listeners. Um, you find us at Apple Podcasts. Google Play and Stitcher. Again, go there and subscribe to make sure you are right on the cusp of getting the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast when it's released. Also, tell your friends. We want to make sure that you share this information with your friends. We think it's a fairly entertaining show, and we want more people involved. So tell your friends about the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast and try to get them listening. Be great discussion throughout the week before we get back to race days on the weekends, and try to get your track involved. Again, we're working with tracks right now, trying to get them to play the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast during downtime. We think it'll entertain the racers, it'll entertain the fans, and it'll keep from wearing the announcer out, trying to talk about certain things that uh, he's just trying to come up with, as I'm well aware of. So get your track involved, and we want to give them a shout-out if they're listening to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast during downtime. Let us know you're doing it, and we'll make sure you get a shout-out here on the show. And last but not least, be sure to join our Facebook community, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Touch base with us on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, and I am at JP11X. Uh, again, Facebook, Twitter, we're on the social media. We're out there. Uh, we've got Racing Answers segment coming up here in an upcoming show. So hashtag Racing Answers. Hashtag Racing Answers. Good point, Luke. <laughs> so we want you to get those questions submitted uh, you can submit those on our Facebook page and or Twitter if you want to reach out to us individually. Again, at Luke Bogacki and at JP11X. So reach out to us with your hashtag racing answers questions, and we'll uh, be sure to get that in an upcoming show segment and make sure we're answering those to the best of our ability. So, guys, thank you so much. I want to thank uh, JJ for being on the show. Obviously, I love that little guy, and um, it was a blast having him on. Luke, thank you for the interview with him. That was well done. Enjoyed that a lot. As, a, As did just, I. The guy just sitting on the side over there. And um, again, want to thank you folks for listening. Um, it's It's been awesome so far. Episode 29 coming at you now and looking forward to many more. So guys, thanks so much and hope you have a wonderful week. All right, everybody. Take care. We are out of here till next week. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Full the 
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.